You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for The Last of Us Part 1 video game, as well as a discussion of the finale of The Last of Us show. Hello, my name is Jason Concepcion. And I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome to X-Ray Vision, the crooked media podcast where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, and pop culture. On this episode, in the previously on, we're talking about the actually very shocking exit of Marvel Studios EP Victoria Alonso. In the airlock, we are finishing our Last of Us Part 1 video game finale explainer, which is going to be very interesting in the wake of... The finale of yes. the show. Yes, yes. We're very excited to have this conversation. And in Nerd Out, Paige pitches us on the Netflix series Sense8. Oh, there's a big fandom for that one. Of course, if you want to jump around, check the show notes for timestamps coming up previously on. News dropped uh, just as we were going to record that uh, executive producer Victoria Alonso is exiting Marvel Studios. This from a... The Hollywood Reporter story, quote, Victoria Alonso, the longtime high profile Marvel Studios executive whose time with the company dates back to the first Iron Man, has left the studio. Multiple sources tell The Hollywood Reporter the reasons for the exit are unclear, but she parted ways with Marvel on Friday. Sources say uh, the article continues. Alonso joined the studio in 2006 as chief of visual effects and post-production and helped launch the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a co-producer on 2008's Iron Man. In 2021, she was promoted to president, physical and post-production, visual effects and animation production. Um, uh, the article continues further. Quote, her departure comes in the shadow of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania's poor showing at the box office and among critics and fans. Your thoughts, Rosie Knight. I was surprised. Yeah, it this is, is not like it's not like Feige leaving, but it's basically the second most shocking exit that there could be. Victoria's been around. If you watch the YouTube world premieres of the Marvel movies, which I always do, you she will always be there. She's been a big champion of directors like Ryan Coogler, Chloe Zhao. She's been really pushing for diversity. She is a gay woman. She spoke out about the Don't Say Gay bill. Um, but yeah, I find this very interesting because she has done a huge amount. She is definitely one of the hands that has shaped the MCU as we know it. Like as the article mentioned, she's been at Marvel Studios since pre, you know, the Iron Man. But after the initial shock, it also was... Something that made sense to me when I thought about the recent issues that Marvel has had with VFX, with mm -hmm. the critiques of the way the VFX looks. But more importantly, in my opinion, the issues they've had with the, the treatment of VFX workers across the globe. And especially like the stuff that we talked about before, the, the burgeoning visual effects union 
that Vulture reported on earlier this year. So to me, my gut says it's probably in the realm of all of that, though we don't know. As they mentioned, the exit kind of hasn't been confirmed why she left. But it, yeah, it was surprising and then less surprising when I really started to think about it. Yeah, this is all obviously conjecture, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, on our text chain, I thought the same thing. The 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 critique about the quality of um, the images in Marvel Cinematic Universe movies uh, dates back years. Like, literally, mm-hmm. you can find articles from 2016. You were sharing articles from 2016. Yeah, 2016, 2017, 2018. Why do Marvel movies look like shit? Why do Marvel movies look ugly? Why is the color palette bad? Why does it look muddy? And that has only continued in recent years with, you know, critiques about the CGI. The CGI doesn't make sense. It's a mess, blah, blah, blah. It's bland. Many, many uh, criticisms of Ant-Man and the Wasp fall along this similar vein. Uh, and then you look at um, uh, Victoria Alonso's uh, title, and it's very clear those things fall directly under her purview. And uh, And when you couple that with the strongly negative stories about mm-hmm. the, the the way that the kind of working conditions that the VFX workers uh, have to deal with. And I think, you know, any media company of any kind of scale and certainly one of Disney size is very concerned about negative stories. And mm-hmm. at some point it's probably is enough. And, and on furthermore, you know, there's also the the angle that like, hey, if you continue to like treat the VFX um, workers like this, you're going to make them form a union. And if they mm-hmm. form a union, we're going to end up spending a lot more money on these fucking movies. And yes. I think that that is potentially an angle as well. You know, I just think, you know, you know when people are saying you're a. You're a movie studio. You make you make movies. It's a visual medium. And when visual people, medium, yeah, visual medium. And when people for seven years have been saying, "Why do these movies look like shit?" and that's your job, I, I would imagine at some point, like those stories accrue and people start asking questions. Add on to that, you know, the the much uh, talked about um, kind of bottom falling out of uh, various streaming companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, financial statements. Disney stock tanking, lots of people getting laid off left and right. Politically speaking, here, you know, there's tons of below-the-line regular workers who are going to be, you know, losing their paychecks. Mm -hmm. Here is a high-profile executive. Um, It probably plays pretty well, too, like if you want to be cynical about it. But I I agree with you. I think this probably— if I had to guess, and we don't know, but if I had to guess, it's it has to do with the constant criticism, and perhaps, and perhaps acknowledged criticism of of the VFX, and the fact that you know the treatment of the VFX uh, tradespeople has essentially backing them into a corner to the point that they're mm-hmm. going to form a union, which again is going to is going to cost Disney and other studios a lot of money if that indeed does happen. Yeah. Great for the workers, less great for the corporations. As is always oh, the way no. oh, <laughs> with the no. union. No, Mickey, <laughs> no, don't. Mickey, are you okay? Mickey's going to be at the Disneyland with his pockets turned down. Like, hey, kids. <laughs> Pennies hey. and dust. Pennies hey, and kids, dust. Hey, kids, anybody's <laughs> for any change? Mickey needs, <laughs> Mickey needs a buy sandwich. Um... <laughs> 
but yeah, I think I think you summed it all up. I also think like something that you keyed into that I don't necessarily know. As we say, n- most of these reports are very unspeculative because yeah. that's not the nature of journalism, but we are here to talk about it in the context of the wider world as we know it. I also think like we are in a a dicey financial time. And I think that all of these studios are trying to save money. And I oh, think that sure. these movies cost an unbelievable amount of money and yet they're still not paying people well enough to make them. And this is just a yeah, it's a confluence of of drama. Maybe we'll be wrong. Maybe it'll turn what? out that Victoria chose to leave of her own her own it, volition, but we'll we'll surely find out more soon. Pay pay is one issue and an important one. But to me, you know, the the weight of all those stories made clear to me that it's it's kind of less about pay and more about time and the mm-hmm. amount of things they're asked to do in a certain period of time. And I think when you really look at that, that calls into question if indeed this firing is because of this issue, that would cause you to think about planning. Can we Mm -hmm. not plan this better? Can we not organize this better so that people aren't working around the clock and in working around the clock getting really pissed off and in getting pissed off either refusing to work with us anymore or unionizing Mm -hmm. to the point that our bottom line gets fucking hammered? Yeah. it seems to me that that would be a reasonable, it's a reasonable assumption to make. Yeah, I'm going to be very interested to see if this kind of begins like a a domino effect of changing the way that these movies are made, even slightly, because I think a lot about the fact that they were doing reshoots for Ant-Man and the Wasp three weeks before it came out in in L.A. And we know that one of the biggest critiques, like you say, it's about these 18-hour days, it's about three months with no days off, but it's also about you know, the term that they use, pixel fucking, where Marvel will come back to you a week before the movie is meant to come out and say, hey, we need you to change this one tiny thing or actually we need you to re redo the whole ending and basically this is what it needs to look like. So can you do that? So I think there is a need for a more sustainable version of how they make these big blockbuster movies, not just superhero movies, like yeah. any kind of big spectacle uh, CG movies. I also think they need to reconsider the way that they use... And the amount that they use, like, CG in these movies, I think that's beginning to stop people from connecting in the way that they are presenting these stories. So, yeah, I'll be interested to see, but I was not expecting this on my bingo card of things that would happen in 2023. Certainly not. Certainly not. Um, Up next, the airlock. Get ready to show off your love for your favorite podcast, including X-Ray Vision, with The Crooked Store. Whether you're looking for a Codify row water bottle or a stylish camo print friend of the pod hat, we've got you covered. And the best part? The Crooked Store gives back with every order to support organizations making a real difference across the U.S. With every purchase, you'll be helping support incredible causes like Vote Riders. Fuck bands, action plan, and every last vote. So what are you waiting for? Put your money where your merch is and head to the Crooked.com store now. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. 
McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Bravo. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries for a limited time. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison of prior classic burgers. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Stepping out of the airlock and uh, into the final chapters of the Last of Us video game to continue and and end our Last of Us video game coverage, um, and this conversation is really going to be about the differences between the emotional impacts of the ending of the mm-hmm. game versus the show. I think one of the things that really we took away from uh, from the conversation in our Discord and kind of reading the kind of conversation on the internet and also watching the show and just taking stock of our own hearts <laughs> was that the show, it's very hard to come away with anything else than being strongly pro-Joel mm-hmm. at the end of The Last of Us. And that is a, a really starkly contrast with, I think, the game, yes. which even even the most like, you know, like pro Joel reading of the events at the end of the game paints him in a much grayer light than he is mm-hmm. in the show where he um and and I think one of the things that that really interests us is like, why is that the case? Why is that the case? So that's yeah. what this conversation is going to be about. Um, so let's start with um the last kind of b- big two movements. At the college where Joel and Ellie go initially to look for the fireflies before um, running into uh, some of David's raiders and getting into the whole cannibalistic hullabaloo over at Silver Lake and then finally the (laughs) final movement at Salt Lake. Um, I think the first thing I would say is that this – the video game – we we gave Marlene a lot of shit. We gave the Fireflies a oh, lot of we shit. Did. <laughs> we we I, and and I came away from my replay of the game and mm-hmm. my rewatch of the cinematics over the last week, really feeling how long the Fireflies had been at this, trying yeah. to find a cure. We go to the college, you know, and you know when we go to the college in the show. There's a lot of monkeys around. You see some kind of like scattered, uh, you know, boxes and some stuff pinned up on the wall. But you really don't know what it is. In the yeah. game, you're interacting with all this stuff. And one of the things you see is like an X-ray of, of, of a person's brain showing the progression of the fungal growth. And then you get all those MP3 recorders mm-hmm. with with scienti- with a scientist, one scientist in particular, talking about the kind of arduous process butting the, their heads up against this concrete wall of trying to find this cure. And I thought that really was important context for the emotional reveals that happen at the end of the game. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that one of the most interesting things on replaying it and on thinking about the different narrative form of the game and the TV show, one, the TV show, you're in there for, you know, nine hours, let's say, as an yeah. estimation, right? In the game, you are there for 40, 50 hours with these characters, with these people, and you learn things in a completely different way. I think the Salt Lake City 
university section is a great example because in the show, we really just go there so they can understand that the fireflies have moved on. You see the map. Oh, it looks like it's going to Salt Lake City. You know, but in the game, you're exploring. You're seeing that this was a place that people lived, that they worked, that they dedicated time to, that they had to leave. And you even get like a moment. You pull the great uh, clip from one of the MP3s where it's like, one of the doctors is considering what to do with the monkeys they've been testing on and he chooses to let them go. He doesn't want to kill them because they've made this sacrifice. Even that gives more humanity to the fireflies and the doctors and this kind of empathy that we never get to see from them in the show. Also, they're missing for a lot of the show, whereas in the game, the fireflies are a constant. And whether it's you, other people talking about them. And I just think that there's something really interesting about thinking about ways that we get information in stories because I do think that finding you know the firefly pendants and learning the different firefly names and also then finding out there's different stories of these characters through mp3 recordings whether it's Marlene or whether it's you know this doctor it gives you a much more interactive and holistic sense of who they are that we didn't have time and also is impossible to do in a game, in, in a TV show, no one wants to see Joel going around listening to multiple MP3s. It doesn't make it doesn't make <laughs> yeah, sense. No it's, one, just, it's just a hokey way to like. He's do, like on his doom doing yeah. exposition. Like nobody wants that, right? But like in the game, it actually works so well, and it feels right. it adds more texture and grit. And I think that is something that I really took away in terms of how we end up in the game feeling a lot more compromised about what Joel does, whereas in the show. Even people who were like, wow, that's kind of fucked up. You're still like, well, what were the fireflies doing? How do we know? Whereas here, we get so much more of an idea that this is an ongoing project that they might actually have an idea about what they're doing. Well, I think it it comes down to, I think, the difference in emotional impact of a game versus show comes down to, for me, one main thing, and that is in the game, I was, I never, ever doubted that this would result in a cure, mm-hmm. that 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 Ellie undergoing this deadly surgery to remove pieces of her brain would absolutely result in the cure. And part of that is, one, the kind of, as we've said, video game logic of, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, yeah, the, the acceptance logic, of super science. Yeah, the logic of the genre, right? Like you play a video game and it absolutely makes sense to you that you are the hero that is that is mm-hmm. going to save the world like that. That is just kind of what the genre is. Right. Um, and also, as you said, this kind of the, the humanity of of the fireflies and a, a word that keeps coming up and, and a notion that keeps coming up in these last two chapters with everything with the fireflies is sacrifice. Like th- that voice memo you mm-hmm. you mentioned, the doctor says of the monkeys, you know, uh, everybody wants to kill you guys. Um, uh, I say, screw that. Who made a bigger sacrifice than you, right? And then shortly mm-hmm. after that, he gets bitten by a fucking tainted monkey. <laughs> <laughs> He made the right choice, but, you know, karma came for him either way. He's been testing on the animals. It just gives you, like, think about uh, the emotional toll that this person Mm -hmm. must have taken to get to a place where here's all these monkeys potentially infected with this deadly virus that has absolutely devastated the globe and caused untold heartbreak and pain and trauma. And you're sitting here injecting them with cordyceps fucking 24 hours a day 
it's horrific yes. to the point where a scientist is just like, I can't after that. I can't do anymore. Like, uh, and I'm what d- I've done to we, you, I yeah, can't I, kill you. And and that really brought it home. Like, mm-hmm. what, like, you know, when we talked about the show and we talked about the kind of like slapdash <laughs> project the, the, the Fireflies has put together. Mad scientist in his lab with his, yeah. like, saw. This felt uh, most definitely not that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, there's a second MP3 recorder in which the doctor has apparently been left behind, probably because he got eat, uh, bitten by the monkey and he's <laughs> at, has to fucking stay there now. Um, and he's talking about, you know, he's just kind of, like, talking uh, as a kind of last will, you know, in, into mm-hmm. another voice recorder. And he is... The frustration of it all has finally gotten to him as he's nearing the end of not just this project, but it's probably his life. And he says, a giant waste of time mm-hmm. talking about this project to find a cure. If you're looking for the others, they all return to St. Mary's Hospital in, Saint, in, in Salt Lake City. You'll find them there still trying to save the world, he says, like very, very bitterly. Um, and then you get to Salt Lake City with that hanging over you of I was gonna man, say the 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 fireflies have really, really, really been trying to crack mm-hmm. to do this. And what's the missing ingredient? It's Ellie. Mm-hmm. Well also I think the other thing that's really great in that moment with those two MP3s is you have the man who understands the sacrifice who thinks it's worth it. Then you have the person who's more along the lines of Joel. This in in Joel's mind, that MP3 in the game, it can justify everything that he's worried Absolutely. about. Because they're yeah. like it is it, a giant waste of time. These yeah. little moments add so much to that kind of internal battle. You're absolutely so right. It's not just a leap that he makes. No. It's like, yeah. It, and it's like that kind of, th- those little narrative beats. And I just want to say, like, I'm this. if you've listened to us talk about the show, you don't need to say this. We love the show. Like, I think they did such a brilliant job of adapting it. And I actually love the choices that they make, even though I was shocked by how kind of, less morally gray and like bleak the ending felt i still really think they did a great job and i think adapting the video game is incredibly hard but in terms of this specific decision it's these little moments that teach you so much about joel and the journey he's on and kind of you can pick up and foreshadow the things even in that moment where the doctor talks about the monkey and says like who's made a greater sacrifice than you that's ellie ellie's gonna make the greatest sacrifice of all there's so much great foreshadowing and it really puts you in the position where at the end you're kind of going back through everything and you're like wait a minute like what happened why would why would he do this whereas like you said in the show you know especially people who hadn't played the game um they were just like, yeah, Joel was right. Yeah. Like, why Why wouldn't he do that? Whereas when in the game, it's like, it's a shadow of the Colossus level turn. Like, you do not see it coming Great and you pull. do not get a choice. And also, I'll be real. Joel is a brutal person in this game. We've talked sure. about it a lot. He kills sure. so many people. Even though him and Ellie build this relationship, I think this is another thing com- on the show versus the game. In the game, there is a, I feel like the world is a lot more full of distractions and other people. The show is so brilliantly focused on Joel and Ellie's relationship mm-hmm. that you don't question it. But again, in the game, I, I've killed 500 people by the time I get to the end. Like, <laughs> what's one more little girl if it means you can save the world, you know? Exactly. And that's, I think, why those choices feel so much heavier. And so... Uh, 
a lot of our, you know, obviously our our, our finale episode was heavy on the criticism of Marlene, and I think, <laughs> and I want to just. Uh, I I stand by everything that I said about Marlene, and I think a lot of my disappointment of of Marlene and and the frustration in what she did is because what she's setting out to do, what the Fireflies are trying to do, is such a lofty and noble goal, and it's Mm -hmm. so worth doing. You know, finding a cure for this vicious disease that has totally devastated the humanity yeah bringing democracy back to a to a country that has been shattered and is being ruled by you know uh, people desperate people with guns like that mm-hmm. is that is a worthy and lofty goal and she was going about it in such a competent fashion and then yep. you get to the game version of Marlene and and when the first thing I notice is when Joel has his he wakes up uh, in the room with Marlene after uh, being captured by the fireflies. And they get captured in a slightly different way. They almost drown after kind of trying to move through, uh, you know, like a, a, a tunnel. And immediately, and this just is a part of the performance, you know, Troy Baker's mm-hmm. performance and Merle Dandridge's performance. But there's immediately a a, a kind of warmth between Joel and Marlene. Like, he, she is so relieved that he's there. She mm-hmm. says, I pretty much, uh, she talks about how, first, how hard it was to, to come across the country, how many people they lost, and she's really sad about it. And she says, I pretty much lost everything. Then you show up and somehow we find you just in time to save her. Maybe it was meant to be. Um, and and then she goes on to say, as Joel realizes like what's going to happen, you know, he says, um, but but cordyceps is in the brain. She's like, yeah. And then he's like, uh, you know, why are you letting this happen? And then she says something that I think really told me why she's doing this. Right. And there will be further things that will back up, I think, her choice of why it's me. It's not the right choice, but I understand why she made it. And she and she says, you know, Joel says, why are you letting this happen? Letting this happen, which I think is important. Mm-hmm. Even Joel Right. By saying that, he's not saying, why are you doing this? No, he even Joel in this moment is recognizing that there are other forces at work, that there's this entire Firefly organization that is agency in and of itself. Right. She's Mm -hmm. a leader, but not the leader. And there's, you know, uh, political considerations going on here. And then she pretty much confirms that she says, because this isn't about me or even her. There is no other choice here. Uh, And. When you think about the desperation in that scientist's voice memos, how long Mm -hmm. they've been at this, how they were, she says, like, we thought we were done. We thought we were never going to find it. Like, and then, and then Ellie shows up and you've got all these scientists that have been working for years to try and crack this code. And you've got all these soldiers that have been supporting them. Some of them dying, getting infected, dying to raiders, et cetera, in the hopes that one day they'd be able to find the missing ingredient and, 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 and be able to manufacture a cure. And then it falls into their laps. I don't think Marlene had the clout to say, hold on, wait, mm-hmm. don't do this surgery. Let's yeah. do some other stuff first. I, I think the doctors and and there's going to be other evidence that is going to bear out what I'm saying. But I think the doctors had been like, we have chased down every fucking dead end street. We've, we've pulled <laughs> on every thread. We've done everything. This is the only way. 
And mm-hmm. I think Marlene had there was nothing she could do. I don't think she could have stood in the way of any of these people that wanted desperately to do this surgery. And that, to me, is the difference between game Marlene and show Marlene. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. And the other big thing, I think, which is, again, is just one of those ultimate conundrums of adapting a game to a show is especially if you have someone like Neil Druckmann, who's such a brilliant storyteller who wants to expand and and add these parts of the lore and the canon. I think one of the things that I found interesting about that adaptation was the confirmation of a very popular fan theory and kind of this expansion on why Ellie was immune, which was that her mother got bitten yeah. and kind of like a Blade origin story, right? And now she's a daywalker. <laughs> I mean, now she's immune. And uh, she's born. And, uh, and what I think is so interesting about that is because we know that Marley knows and because in the room in the hospital where she tells Joel about the surgery, she is the one who expands on how Ellie is immune. In the game, it's a voice memo from a doctor who kind of says, like, Marlene was right. The girl's infection is like nothing I've ever seen. Important to note, the cause of her immunity is uncertain, as we've seen in all past cases. And he sort of goes on to talk about why it probably would have worked. By making Marlene complicit in not only the knowledge that Ellie was likely always immune or had a potential to be immune, but then having her be the reason, yeah, the person who shares the reason to Joel, oh, she's immune, it's because of, you know, she's probably been immune since birth. It gives Marlene a much more sinister edge. In the game, there is kind of this reveal that Marlene has been protecting Ellie because she knew Ellie's mother and it's all through love. And when she tells Joel, I do understand what's going on in the game, she says, I, I, was Ellie's mom's best friend. I'm paraphrasing. And, you know, I've looked after her since she was little. I always promised to look after her. That feels like a plea of somebody going through grief, going through something the same. In the show, it feels like she's trying to sell Joel something because she wants to use Ellie for this purpose. And I think, even though I love that acknowledgement of how Ellie's immune, and I think it's actually a really important addition because I think for a lot of people that could have been almost like a plot hole if it wasn't, wasn't explained in the show. I do think it gives Marlene a more sinister edge that makes it harder to empathize with her or feel like she's doing things in an altruistic way. Oh, or absolutely. Yeah. It gives her more, it feels like she has more power, more agency. It feels like she was the one who told the doctor, oh, this is what happened with Ellie. It feels like she is the one who wanted Joel to go there. It loses, like you said, that feeling you get in the game of this kind of momentum that's overtaken Marlene and any plans she had. She doesn't want Ellie to die in the game, but there's no choice. And also who would, you know, it's the greater good. Here, Marlene just in the show is kind of just like, well, sorry, we're going to put her in surgery and uh, nothing you can do about it. And it's just, it doesn't, it hits in a more villainous way, I think. Uh, To your point, when when you stack what you're saying on, and I think you're exactly right, when you stack that on top of the kind of way the conversation that Marlene had with Ellie early in the show mm-hmm. season that that seemed to suggest that Marlene had been like pulling some strings in terms of like getting Ellie placed at Fedra. He, she's been keeping her eye on her, all these kind of things. It, ma- it makes it seem like much more of a plot. And then you get to the end and the kind of alacrity with which she is, you know, like hustling Joel out the door mm-hmm. to do this thing feels it it feels a lot more like she is driving these events and less yeah. that, that that they are happening to her. Now, you know, 
oftentimes in, and that's not worse or better. It's just different. Yeah. And it makes Marlene a different character. But I think that's exactly the thing you're, you're, you're talking about. Like even the way she says, you know, in the, in the game, she says almost pleading with Joel. She says like, she's not going to feel anything. Like, don't Mm -hmm. like she, and and the way it lands is like she's almost soothing herself about it yeah. because, as she said, there's no there's no choice. I don't have a choice in it. But then when she says to, the way she says to Joel, like. Uh, in the show, like, don't worry, I didn't she's tell out. Her. Yeah, yeah, she's out. She won't know what's happening. The fact that she then shortly thereafter says, well, what would she, what choice would she make, Joel? Mm-hmm. It makes her a hypocrite. And again, that's not worse or better or any. It's just like a different way to tell the story. And I would argue if you have Pedro Pascal as your lead role, you definitely want the audience to be like, Joel, go get him. Like, yeah, doing the right thing. Like you want you just want to root for that guy. Um, But that's why. The game version is a lot more is a lot grayer because you you can sense, you know, texturally how hard everybody has been working to make this happen, to to find a cure and how this, all these people who are experts in this, yeah. unlike the way we felt about the doctor who, again, is like, <laughs> where did this fucking guy come from? You know, like we've seen all the infrastructure now through the voice memos, through the different hardware, you're creeping around the, the you know, the, the college campus and then you're, you know, you're moving through the Salt Lake City uh, laboratory mm-hmm. and hospital and you're and seeing other stuff. And you get the feeling that these people kind of know what they're doing now. Um, after Marlene lets Joel go. Still a bad decision, obviously, but I think one that plays a little bit differently in the game. She says, don't waste this gift, Joel. And you could, as many people in the Discord talked about, like, you know, part of the reason that she lets him go in the show is because she's grateful to him. And I think that's right. And I think that's a direct translation for the game. And I think it, it's, uh, you understand it more in the game. And it's also that, mm-hmm. you know, there's big things afoot. Like, let's get this guy out of here. And then so as Joel has made his break He's killed a couple of uh, fireflies and he's creeping around like being pursued by them. He then finds another voice memo. And I think this voice memo is yes. really important for what because it it absolutely locks in the, the kind of like supporting evidence of the competence of the firefly doctors. And it lets you know, like how thoughtful they are actually about this thing, even though they are rushing to do it. And the and the doctor voice memo uh goes, quote, Marlene was right. The girl's infection is nothing like I've seen. The cause of her immunity is uncertain. And I'm going to read all this jargon because I actually think it's important that they put this in here. As we've seen in all past cases, the antigenetic titers of the patient's cordyceps remain high in both serum and cerebrospinal fluid. Blood cultures taken from the patient rapidly grow cordyceps and fungal media in the lab. We'll stop here. This is one of our critiques, right, of the mm-hmm. show. Is like, why don't you start with blood tests? Why don't you do all these other... They've done it. They tried it. Yep. They've been trying it. Um, however, it continues, white blood cells, including percentages and absolute counts, are completely normal. There is no elevation of pro-inflammatory cytokines, and an MRI of the brain shows no evidence of fungal growth in the limbic regions, which would normally accompany the prodrome of aggression in infected patients. We must find a way to re- 
replicate this state under laboratory conditions. We're about to hit a milestone in human history equal to the discovery of penicillin. After years of wandering in circles, we're about to come home, make a difference, and bring the human race back into control of its destiny. All of our sacrifices and the hundreds of men and women who've bled for this cause, or worse, will not be in vain. Now, imagine that kind of emotion Mm -hmm. amongst the fireflies. Who's going to be able to tell them no? Like, I just don't think Marlene could have done it. I don't think she could have done it. I also think this, like, is a really great way to set up the weight of what Joel's choice means. It's devastating. Because you hear this and you already, there's hundreds of people who have sacrificed their lives for this, let alone all the millions of people who've already died from cordyceps. That, for some reason, just brings it home so much harder that, when Joel takes Ellie out and kills the fireflies and kills the doctor, you feel that weight of, oh, that could have saved millions of lives. Yeah. And you and I have to say, look, I've always been a slight Joel apologist just because I do think, I think that there is something very interesting and analogous here about like real life testing on humans and that like sure. of agency yeah. that Ellie wasn't given. So I always found this to be less of a villainous decision and more of this really interesting, complex question about who gets to live, who gets to die. But in the game, the weight is there. In the show, as we said, you know, I feel like you really come out of this like, it probably wasn't going to work. And even Uh, if it was, like, they they didn't sell you on how hard it was. You felt like you were in this kind of junk together surgery. There was no blood tests. There was no conversation. And I understand that they kind of, they they distilled a little bit of that science into what Marlene says to Joel, but I don't necessarily think it hits that same way. And when you hear the way that the doctor feels about what they could do, a milestone in human yeah. history equal to the discovery of penicillin. Yeah, like... And then to have Joel ignore that and just kill everyone, that's very hardcore. That is like a brutal... And again, this is that different. It's not necessarily a narrative storyline. You have to pick up the recorder. You have to hear these. These are things that build on top of the experience that you're having. Plus, again, like we said, the nature of being in Joel's person and being the person who has to kill all these things, that's very different from just watching it on the screen. So that makes it feel a lot heavier too. But I do think it's a really interesting change Because by this point, you are so in, you know, you're so in on Joel and Ellie's journey, on the sacrifices they've made together in the show, that it felt so much easier to do. In the game, you're like, well, I get it, but there's lots of buts. In the show, I feel like it's more just like, ah, Joel did what he had to do. No but. You know, but the game is always this huge, well... He could have. There's a lot more questions. And I think it comes from these really brilliant little narrative devices like the memos. And, you know, there's another part of this conversation, too. And you you hear the question a lot regarding both versions of the story, game and show. Okay, your perspective on how you feel about Joel's choice is going to be different depending on whether you're a parent or not. Right. You Mm. hear that a lot. Like if you're a parent, it absolutely makes sense in both versions. And I agree with that. But I also think that there's a really interesting thing that that you're kind of talking about. And, and I think it's it, – it, and I'm fascinated in how this part of the conversation never – or rarely comes up. I don't want to say never mm-hmm. comes up. Rarely comes up. And that is you are 
the parent of a child who is infected. You're watching them waste away and turn into this like aggressive killer zombie, you know, or you've watched that happen to someone you love. And what would you feel if you learned that there was a cure, but then someone came along and and mm-hmm. and for that cure to happen, right? A surgery would have need to be performed on someone. Uh, and that surgery would probably kill them. But everyone, like your child would be cured. Your friend's children would be cured. Future generations for all time to come, there would be a cure, right? Uh, and then you hear that not only is that person, that immune person, like lost to the, to the people who are trying to find the cure now, but all the the knowledge, the hard-earned scientific and medical mm-hmm. knowledge of how to do this has been wiped out by, like, one guy. People would hate that guy 100%. Yeah. They would be like, "That's a kill that guy. That guy's mm-hmm. a criminal. He's causing my child to get sick and die. Like, yeah. I hate that guy. Um, yeah, and that's I, a part of this, too, that I think definitely it, it is is much more kind of like textual in the, in the game version. Yeah, I also think you bring up an interesting point even before you get to Joel killing everyone, right? If you're asking this question, you're saying, if my child was Ellie, what would I do? I mean, I have nieces and yeah. nephews, and I probably would definitely have done what Joel did. But Absolutely. let's flip it on Absolutely. its head and talk about what if, like you said, you had an infected child. But to cure that child, all you had to do was kill one person in a surgery to create a cure. Even on that base level, if we take it outside of a million people, that is basically a really interesting reflection of Joel's choice. And Joel chooses to kill many people to save Ellie. If Joel was infected and he had a choice to kill somebody or force somebody through a surgery to save Ellie, he would probably do it. So I think it's a really interesting uh, kind of razor's edge that they balance on here morally. X-Ray Vision will be back. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. And we're back. So as Joel is kind of creeping around, continuing to kill fireflies left and right, you overhear some of this firefly, the fireflies talking to each other. And one of them asks, who is this guy? And another answers, he brought the kid all the way from Pittsburgh. Marlene insisted on questioning him herself. This little snippet of dialogue, it again, it opened another crack into like Marlene's actions. And that mm-hmm. is, if you buy into Marlene is, is, does not have the clout to stand in the way of this, um, the decision to perform the surgery on Ellie. Um, everybody's gung-ho for it. There's Even if she said, no, don't do it, that people would just do it anyway. And, even, and if she did that, like her life would probably be in danger. But he, the way I read this line is that I think she's kind of protecting Joel here. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. she's protecting Joel and letting him go. But by... 
not letting anybody else talk to him. That seemed like she's kind of like hanging her neck out for Joel a little bit. Like she she kind of like uh, she kind of like hung herself out there to to try and get Joel out of there safely, considering what he had done for her. It's definitely very interesting because one of our biggest critiques was like, why would they like billy club them? Surely they would know they were coming right in the show. But it's really funny how in the game there's kind of this. It almost feels more like Marlene's like paranoia to protect Ellie and Joel and to kind of keep their mission a secret is why she doesn't kind of let everyone know. I also like think this is really good world building because as we know, they're constantly having to recruit fireflies because they always die. Yeah, and I kind of like the idea. Right. I just kind of like the idea that these are just some new guys. So yeah. like, why the fuck would they know? Because they're just hanging around like, and they're not going to be there for very long. But yeah, it's definitely very interesting replaying it, how differently these little moments play when you have this much more decompressed amount of time to kind of explore and feel the world. I mean, that whole, that the finale of The Last of Us is, it's the shortest episode yeah. of the season. So it and really like... And in terms of dialogue, I mean, it feels ripped. I, I haven't done a line by line. I'm sure uh-huh, somebody has. Uh-huh. But it feels essentially yeah. ripped from the game. You know, that the final 20 minutes is basically, to, you know, almost directly for the game. So Joel makes it into the surgical theater. First of all, there are fireflies posted outside the door <laughs> in the Smart. game version. He actually get, there's actually yeah, gods. He, he manages to flank them and he kills them. And then when he gets in there, the surgeon says, I won't let you take her. At which mm. point in the show, Joel just shoots him. Uh, but And then he continues, this is our future. Think of all the lives we'll save. And then Joel shoots him. Now... Part of why this is shocking, and we've said this before, but for me, you know, video games are, it's about agency. It's about interactivity. It's about immersion. You are the character. I am Joel when I'm playing this game. And and after spending X amount of hours, depending, you know, your mileage may vary depending yeah. on how, how hard the game was for you. But after spending hours and hours after work, but, you know, before going to work, at a, during a break, you know, stealing minutes and hours here and there and here and there, working, you know, arduously towards this mm-hmm. goal of delivering Ellie to this place where we can save the world from this virus to suddenly have that choice taken from you and you have to Ooh. kill this guy. That's another part of the emotional impact of of the game that uh, that is slightly different. Again, not better or worse, but just it it's because you were taking part in this story, and you re- and at least from my perspective, I'm thinking like like any other video game, be it Halo or Bioshock mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, oh, I'm going to save the world now. We're going to do it. Yep. And instead, I go on a murder spree, and that is a it's a really shocking and powerful subversion that I think. Also, is strangely one of the most. Uh, it's one of the. It it depicts violence in a way that really asks you to to think about what it costs. Yeah. Even though obviously this is a video game, these are not real people dying. But I I've. I, it's rare that I've played a game in which you kill people where I felt the deaths as much mm-hmm. as you feel them in this game. And you really feel it in that moment when Joel, yeah. you as Joel, shoots this doctor and you have no choice but to do it. There's not yeah. even a spare him or don't spare It's Mm-mm. like, kill the guy. 
Yeah, I think that's such a great point, especially because it's the lesson that they took from the game and put into the show that I love the most. If the game made you feel the weight of the deaths, which it especially does by the time you get here. If you didn't before because you were shooting. I have to say, when I first played it, I definitely was more just like, I'm getting through it. I'm playing the game. When I started replaying it for the show and for the pod, it kind of blew my mind from the very beginning how many people you kill. And not Fedra agents, not infected, but at the beginning, for the first people you kill are just henchies, like random guys that you have to shoot in the head. And even in that moment and that brutality, I felt that weight. And what I love, if there's one thing, I mean, I love so much about the show, but the one thing I think is so brilliant and so responsible and so interesting is how they took that and translated it, even in these changes that we're talking about and the way that we feel like maybe the weight of Joel's choice feels a little less or a little less complex. In the finale especially, but throughout, you feel when he kills someone. And in the finale, they show you the faces of the people that he kills. I thought that was a really smart decision to do that, to really pay homage to the game, to mm-hmm. the way the game depicts violence and makes you complicit in the violence. Like that 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 last scene where you shoot the doctor, that last moment in the, in the surgical theater in the game, again, like all of that is scripted. That could be a cutscene. But it's not. It makes you pull the trigger mm-hmm. without any ability to choose not to pull the trigger. You have to aim, you have to kill the, you have to aim it at him and shoot him, and you can't do anything else. And the that only way you a, can not do it is by not playing the game, not finishing yeah, it, the game. It is. It's uh, you mentioned uh, Shadows of the Colossus. It is like that. Yeah. In that Shadows of the Colossus. I think one of the brilliant things about that game is you're killing these big, huge, peaceful creatures. And because of the way the the mechanics of that game, where you have to just press the button again and again and again and again and again and again and again, it's making you really have to kill this. Like you are doing it. It's you. You're doing you could just like stop doing it, but you won't because if Mm -hmm. you have to kill this thing. Why? I don't know. They're peaceful and they just are sitting there eat if ha- happily playing in a field and you decide to climb up their head and kill them. It's like, <laughs> It was like that kind of emotional impact. Yeah, and it um, has that me. twist where yeah. it's like you think you're the hero and then you f- discover that you're the villain, you know. And in, I feel like, as I've said, Joel is not necessarily a villain, but in the game you do realize that in that moment where you shoot the doctor, you look at what you've done and you think, whoa, yeah. I I have been complicit. I am Joel and I have just like gone through and done down a hospital, which is why I think the way that they shot the finale and had that kind of Joel disassociating was very, again, I'll say the word responsible because I think in the way the, that we live now and the reality of gun violence is like, if you're going to have a character come out of that feeling vaguely heroic, you can't mm-hmm. actually make the violence heroic or righteous because it's just too analogous to real life. So there's like a real interesting balance you have to strike there. But yeah, I mean, those to me, Shadow Colossus, Last of Us, those are like those two biggest unexpected twists where you think you're going to save the world, you think you're doing the right thing. But the reality is that was never the plan. Uh, when Marlene confronts Joel in the parking garage, she could shoot him. Like in the in the show, you're wondering why she doesn't. Here, she takes her mm-hmm. guns off him. She puts him up in the air, uh, uh, almost as if to 
you know, to make that plea to him. Think about all yeah. the people that have died who will die. You can, And she says, you can still do the right thing here. She won't feel anything. And so when it cuts to the car <laughs> and you don't know what happened and then you see that he just guns her down, <sighs> it, it really – it really hits. Um, and then, of course, that end conversation is basically the same as the show. Mm-hmm. And I think when you get to that point uh, and Joel lies to, right to, you know, right to Ellie's face, I think, first of all, you know, this is a somewhat of a function of the fact that, like, CG <laughs> faces are a lot <laughs> less expressive than human faces, right? Whereas when when Pedro does it, you feel the anguish, how much he wants to protect her from any from ever, any and all threats and how important mm-hmm. that is to him, how much he loves her, how much he means to her in, in terms of a lifeline uh, that has, like, helped drag him out of decades of trauma and pain. You know, I mean, it's a lot to put on a person. And it's almost like his lie to her is a way of him kind of realizing that that's a lot to put on a person. So I'm going to take that responsibility mm. off. Of yeah, her. yeah, yeah. He they doesn't want her to feel the guilt. I, I, I feel I like that's a to, huge Yeah, part. that's a huge part of it. I don't want you, you know, like, don't worry about it. Like, whereas in the game, it plays more as, first of all, you know, again, CG faces. It feels more like he lies stone-faced directly to her. Mm-hmm. And, I th- and it plays, at least to me, more like, I did a thing that I'm, I'm ashamed of that I did that. We were yeah. going to save the world, but because I love you so much, I've decided that the rest of the world can go fuck itself. And every mm-hmm. child born from now until the end of time can go fuck itself if they get bitten by a cordyceps, just as long as I can have you in my life. Like, I'm mm-hmm. going to be that mm-hmm. selfish. And, now I'm, and, and I'm going to lie to you about it because I'm kind of ashamed that I did that but it's worth it. Um, and that's yeah. a very human response, but it's also a much grayer yeah. and different response. Yeah, I think there's this great um, quote that Saul pulled from a New Yorker article about like adapting The Last of Us, where they're talking about how Druckmann's own daughter was born during the original game's development, and the intensity of his emotions as a new father helped shape The Last of Us, which became, he said, an exploration of that charged question, how far will the unconditional love of a parent feels for their child go? I just think that's all summed up in that final moment. It's like that's the bleakest, most far-reaching question. It's not even, but in the game especially, it's not even the killings. That's been done. Then it's the continued lie. It's the taking away the agency you already weren't given and not, and being so obsessed with protecting your child that you actually end up putting them in greater danger. Because like you said, we all know, like, that's not the o- that's not the end of the fireflies. Yeah, they're still they're they're <laughs> still around. They are going to make themselves heard. Um, but any final thoughts now on having finished the game uh, yet again? I I still just kind of blows my mind that they they went that way with it. I, I think knowing that Druckmann's kid was born makes a lot of sense in kind of that drive. But to me, it just it still blows my mind. It's kind of this extrapolation of the lone wolf and cub story, but it has much less of a hero's journey. It kind of I find it really interesting how there's this 
almost a vengeance plotline in the nature of like Joel losing Sarah, but it's not yeah. specific. In in usual vengeance storylines, you will have a certain person you need to take down, but Joel's grief and his revenge for losing Sarah kind of encompasses the whole world and yeah. ends with this horrific final betrayal where he makes that choice for Ellie and, and and then takes away this kind of choice and hope for a cure. Yeah, I, I came away feeling that, you know, the game again is a masterpiece, still a masterpiece of the genre and well worth picking up if you haven't played the remastered version. And I think that what makes it so great is Druckmann and company managed to find this thing, you know, it, our our perceptions, our lives are mm -hmm. all about our own personal perspectives on things, right? Yeah. And they managed to put us so, it, it put us so tightly in the one perspective in which Joel is kind of a hero, even mm -hmm. though it's gray, right? He's yeah. kind of a hero outside of that one thin, like, slice, this little crack through which, like, light shines through. Uh, outside of that, Joel is the guy who consigned the world to, like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, endless years, if not forever, of the barbarity and sickness and possibly extinction. Like, he killed everyone. He yeah. killed the world. Uh, and it's tragic. And 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 it's heartbreaking for all the people who have been trying so hard to, to find a cure. And that is an incredible achievement to put you so tightly into the mm -hmm. perspective of of uh, these two people who love each other so dearly that they're willing to just be like, fuck the world. Like, we mm -hmm. want to stay together. Yeah, I also think it's, like, incredibly brave. That's one of the things that I think as a storyteller, right? Like, we're used to these stories where to shock someone for an ending to be bleak, like, especially say, like, horror, everybody dies. That's yeah. your bleak, like, oh, it's going to leave... But how often do you get put in a story where, especially in a game, you are the driving force of the game, you believe you have agency, you kill multiple people, you you use a gaming format that is used every day, you you shoot people, you aim, you do headshots, you stealth. You They took these things that we recognize and use for fun in other games, and by the end... They're like, oh, no, no, don't you understand? Like, people who kill five, six hundred people casually, they're not heroic. Yeah. They basically turn around to you and say, you thought that that was what a hero did? No, that that's not how a hero behaves. And here is the proof, because this is the choice he made. I think it's very, I think it's extremely meta. And I think it is kind of this still, I think it gets better and ages better every year as we yeah. kind of deal with the realities of 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 gun violence and the way that people use guns, especially in America. It's, I just think it's a really brave choice. And I, I I live to make a story that shocks people that much, but in a way that leaves like leaves you with a feeling. It doesn't shock you with an exploitative action of violence, even though Joel's very violent. It shocks and unsettles you because you're complicit in the violence. Yeah. I just think it's very brave. Uh same here. Um up next, nerd out. In today's Nerd Out, where you tell us what you love and why, or a theory you're excited to share, which we've had a lot of, Paige pitches us on the Netflix show Sense8, which was cancelled way too soon. 
Hello, my recommendation for this week is a bit more mainstream. You may have heard of it, but if you haven't or haven't gotten around to watching it yet, I highly recommend Netflix's original series, Sense8. After listening to your discussion on the necessity of diversity in storytelling this week, it was definitely a show that came to mind. It's got a lot of great representation, but is underappreciated. It's a story of eight people in their late 20s with the exact same birthday when they are suddenly born as sensates. Uh, fundamentally, the birth activates a cerebral connection among eight people across the globe into a cluster. So we get a diverse cast of eight main characters. It's got a lot of great sci-fi storytelling and was created by the Wachowski sisters from the Matrix fame, so you know what delivers on the sci-fi. And yes, the show with eight main characters is a lot, um, but every story is very rich. They have their own arcs and voices. We have four non-white characters, four men, four women, one being a trans woman, played by a trans woman, written by trans women, so that's great, and also other LGBT characters. And they are from seven different countries, and the scenes are filmed on location, so it's incredibly beautiful. The main themes of the show are identity and connection. Uh, it has a lot of great action scenes and some humor, but the best part is seeing how the different sensates connect with each other and accept each other. Each one struggles with their identity, especially as they awkwardly navigate new abilities such as uh, telepathic-ish communication or visiting and being able to take on skills and languages of the other sensates in their cluster. The first season is especially fun as they discover themselves and their other selves, and they also discover more clusters of sensates which they can still communicate with, but don't possess their abilities. When we ultimately get an evil corporation hunting the sensates as well. The show doesn't shy away from topics such as religion, sexuality, sexism, transphobia, and homophobia. I think they tackle these with a lot of care and sincerity too. But warning, it does have a lot of graphic sex and violence. If you don't want to see a used dildo in pride colors, this isn't for you. Unfortunately, it was canceled after season two. Look, Netflix cancels another diverse show, so we won't be getting any more. But fans were so upset about the cancellation that they started a petition and were able to get a two-hour finale. Finale was a bit rushed, but at least we got one. Overall, Sensei is ambitious, compelling, and if nothing else, an incredible journey. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Paige. If you have theories or passions you want to share, hit us up at xray at crooked.com. Instructions, as always, are in the show notes. Well, that is it for us. Rosie, any plugs? Plug, 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 plug. Uh, you can find me here <laughs> talking about all this cool stuff. Oh, I, I'm uh, I'm starting a newsletter that's just going to be like recommendations because I get a lot of requests for recommendations and I don't have time as much as I wish I did to always respond. So that's called Rosie Recommends. It's at Substack. You can subscribe to it now. And uh, Letterboxd and Instagram are my only social media, and I'm Rosie Marks at both. Catch the next episode of X-Ray Vision Friday, March 24th, for episode four of The Mandalorian. And remember, we're bringing you two episodes a week, two big episodes a week, wherever you get your podcasts, Wednesdays and Fridays. It's X-Ray Vision, two times a week in your ear holes. And if you like seeing us with your eye holes and watching the old <laughs> YouTube, you can subscribe to us there. There are full episodes of the show now. Delon does a brilliant job putting them together. And you can follow us at XRVPod on Twitter. We're always having fun celebrating the stuff we love. Plus, check out the Discord. We love to shout out our Discord because it's a ton of fun. 
bunch of amazing fans there talking about all kinds of cool stuff. And Jason and I pop in once in a while. Five star ratings, five star reviews. We need them. We got to have them. You got to give them to us. Here is one from Shower with Friends. <laughs> the dopest podcast, perfect chemistry. Love the convos. Best recaps of the game. Love, love, love the show. Thank you. Thank you, oh, thank Shower you. with Friends. Thank, thank you, you, Shower with Friends. Thank you. Absolutely. X-Ray Vision is a crooked media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. See you next time. At least it ain't clickers. Well, maybe in all that research, they turn into fucking monkeys. Just keep searching, we'll find something. Hey, Mike. Uh, yeah, this is Stop from Marine. I'm just over here, you know, trying to find a cure for the, the Cody Sus virus. And I gotta tell you, Mike, uh, I really don't like what they're doing uh, with regards, what we're doing. I'm not gonna try and sugarcoat it, Mike. I'm doing it too, but with regards to the, to the animal testing that we're doing over here, Mike, it's really terrible. And I'm gonna, and I'm gonna tell you something on this voice recorder, Mike, that, uh, that nobody else knows, and that's, I'm gonna let the monkeys go, Mike. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to off the monkeys, Mike. Uh, they are riddled with cordyceps, and different strains of it, too, Mike. They're fucking dangerous, uh, little beasts. But you know what I'm gonna do, Mike? I'm gonna let them out. I'm gonna let them out of the cage. You wanna come out of this little cage, buddy? You can, let me open up the window, you can get out of here, little <laughs> 